Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Skill, sheer determination, and a little bit of luck. All key factors in any successful athlete's ability to win a single race, a match, a duel. But how about competing at an elite level for over two decades in one of the most rigorous, high-intensity sports to exist? That takes mental fortitude and, surprisingly, tranquility in the moment. Lindsay Jacobellis is the most decorated snowboarder in history. A five-time Olympian, she is a two-time Olympic gold medalist, Olympic silver medalist, six-time world champion, 10-time X Game gold medalist, and her most recent World Cup win in Germany marked 31 victories in total. Aside from athletics, she's a mentor, a published author, and admirably telling her story her way. I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and the cost of greatness, both on and off the Olympic stage. On today's episode, Lindsay walked me through the ups and downs of her prolific career and shared how she found solace in the ability to let the little things go, ultimately reaching her golden moment at the 2022 Winter Olympic Games. Hi, I'm Liz Jacob Ellis, and I am a professional snowboarder, and I've been traveling the World Cup tour for the last 16 plus years. Which is such a long career. Yeah, it's been a hot minute, and I got into snowboard cross a lot earlier than that, so I've been almost 25 years racing and, you know, was also competing in halfpipe as well, but then decided to streamline and focus on the longevity and see what I could possibly accomplished with having such a long history in the sport of border cross because it's very hard to ever have the same scenario two times. Yeah. And obviously we want to get into that, but do you think being a seasoned competitor, having all that experience under your belt, do you think it's the mental that becomes so strong and it enables you to kind of deal with all different types of courses and scenarios? I would say I really started actually focusing more on my mental game about eight years ago because it was just certain things that were not lining up or sometimes 
with border cross, it could just be bad luck, but I was starting to see this pattern and I was getting so much extra pressure during the Olympics because of my history that I was basically being tortured by the media every time. They just love to get their stories, but they don't realize, are you on Team USA right now? Are you actually trying to help me out or do you just not care because you need to say those buzzwords to get what you need across so you're, you know, getting your headline. And it's always a little frustrating to to deal with that. And so I started looking into what I could possibly do to change that. And I started working with Denise Shul from the Rethink Group. And we completely took a different approach instead of, you know, only blocking out the, the negative and only focusing on the positive. We started taking approaches like, well, let's look into this fear that you're struggling with, or let's focus on the emotional reaction that you're having and let's best understand how that's really being built up in you because those emotional reactions do physically drain you. Mm -hmm. Even if you're shielding yourself that no one else knows that you're having an emotional reaction, like most competitors, that still drains energy. And I was noticing that was happening to me. And at the 2018 Olympics, I had like this, this frazzling moment in between time trials and when we start our heat races, because it's all in the same day. And normally we never do that. I had this time where I was very frazzled and I was just allowing myself to feel that. I stepped away from everyone and allowed myself to have that emotional reaction. And then I went and had some food started listening to music again and I went back up there and I started riding really, really well. And it just came down to, unfortunately, you know, the course, the headwind, how the drafting was working because I had great starts and I wasn't always having great starts the years prior. So I was on it with the starts that I'm drafting. And then of course we came out of turn two, I think, and it was just this gnarly headwind and it just let all the ladies by. So it was, you know, you run it through your mind so many times as a competitor. Could I have done this differently? What didn't I execute well there? And you play it over. You're like, what if I was in second? But then you can't guarantee that you wouldn't be in some sort of uh, tangling scenario with another rider. You always want to try to be out ahead because that's the least chance for you to get caught in traffic or tangled or lose speed to be able to dictate your line. I knew that I was onto something because I, I saw this change because you don't need to be just bearing those emotions. You need to have those come to the surface and deal with them and grow and learn from them. And I mean, I missed the podium by like, it was a photo finish. So it was hard to still come so close to a medal and then you know, not get it. And there was times I fully doubted myself. I'm, I'm getting too old. I, you know, I can't work out at the same capacity of these young guns that are coming up because they can do so much more volume. Then I have my trainer and my mental coach telling me you have that volume because you have years of volume. Now we're kind of fine tuning some other options. So I do think having that mental edge and that, you know, emotional maturity to take me through these last, you know, few years has given me the chance. Looking at what I've fought through, how much I've grown, 
and what I what I wanted to represent was coming through with perseverance. And then I started going with straight on statistics. I'm like, look at this. I have a 75% chance at meddling. These are great odds. I, everyone's like, you look so calm. And I was looking back, I was calm because at that time I had to tell myself, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to shake out how it does. It is going to just something's going to happen. I don't know what, and I'm going to be okay with it. If I get gold, great. If I don't, I'm going to be okay. And then when I pulled out of the gate and I was in first, and I was like, that 75% chance just went up. It's even higher now. (laughs) (laughs) So there's so much about this. I want to unpack. I want to come back to the strategies that you learned to enhance your mental game, because I think they are so important for so many different contexts, not not just athletics. I think these are things that our listeners can apply to their own lives. And I certainly have kind of gone through a similar path of running into myself for many, many years and then learning how to process emotion and also how to surrender. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like those are two opposite ends of the spectrum because you got to let that emotion express and you got to feel it. You can't stuff it away. It doesn't go anywhere if you don't let it, if you don't feel it, if you don't breathe through it, but then you also have to practice that surrender. Um, and, and so like, I really want to get into that, but I, we got to back up because I'm going to talk a little bit about childhood and I want to, to describe for the listeners what your sport is because it is crazy (laughs) (laughs) and it is badass and it is savage. And I want people to know what you have been doing for 20 years to your body (laughs) and, and, uh, you know, just so they can understand how phenomenal it is that you've had this storied long career. So will you describe for us your sport and kind of what happens? Okay. So snowboard cross is a series of races where you have four people in the gate and the first two that come down move to the next round and the bottom two are eliminated. Similar to supercross or motocross, there's those elements, there's bank turns, there's jumps, there's whoops, we call them rollers. Um, Sometimes there's crazy features. Um, They're always, a course builder is always trying to add their little special flair when they are designing a course that makes it unique or unique to that terrain because sometimes you have to build for the terrain. It is a gliding sport, but over the last few years, there have become more power movements out of the gate, having these explosive maneuvers that have to take you somewhat uphill to get over these features to then generate speed. That has made it especially appealing for the younger kids because it is very challenging to get my body being older to generate power over and over and over again. Uh, So sometimes I have a disadvantage in the start. But then my advantage comes with gliding, being in the air, being in pack, racing, and not panicking. So it's a little bit like roller derby, you know, motocross. There is bumping and grinding. Sometimes little handsy motions can happen, but we ultimately try not to be running in or touching another competitor only because that hurts our speed and the other person's speed that you touch. Olympics took 
We did a time trial run where everyone goes down the course by themselves and gets their own time. Those times then seat you into brackets. So the Olympics, they took the top 32 men and 32 women, and we had starting eight brackets of four people. And then it slowly whittles down after eliminating two people out of every heat down to your final four. And some days you're only racing one heat, and some days you go all the way through and you're doing these power maneuvers, building up a ton of lactic acid. Not that you wouldn't know what that feels like when you're going through the moguls. And oh, my knees just hurt when I think about moguls. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but you're doing run after run after run and maybe only getting a couple of minutes in between. You get immediately brought up on a snowmobile. You try to have some water, maybe a little snack, shake out your legs. And then you start hearing them call your name to be lining up for another heat. So it's really anyone's game. And I think that's why border cross is always so exciting to watch because anything can happen. There's crashes. There's just things you cannot control. And three other people on the slope with you is part of that equation. And that's also part of the growth process. And you could be riding really, really well and just get taken out. You really cannot tell how it's going to play out. And I just felt like... After so many years, the stars finally aligned in my favor due to just the probability of how many times they've been cruising <laughs> to potentially make it work. I don't know about that. It had- certainly helps. It uh, certainly yeah. helps. Okay. I, because there's other factors that, you know, I'm not in control of, you know, the the weather and how that difference in temperature could play into the overlays that are on my board that make me break either right out of the gate with speed or partway through, or that it saves right at the end that you have that last juice. And, you know, you can't control the weather. You can't control the wind. I was trying to just prepare myself to have everything in my control be executed and working in my favor. That way, that little uncontrolled variable that's kind of just can go any way, at least minimized those results. And that's all I could really do. Kind of like poker, kind of like life. You got to play the hand you're dealt. Yes. And I think, uh, again, I, you know, I want to circle back to this, but strengthening that mindset is such a huge skill to, to develop. Um, okay. So how did you get involved in this crazy sport of yours? So it's actually an interesting story. And I do touch upon it more in uh, my autobiography that I'm starting to write. So I'll get even more fun details of how everything kind of came to fruition. Because it's not a blueprint. As you know, you can't just follow everything and then boom, you get a professional athlete. So looping back to, you know, my family growing up, we were the weekend warriors We were driving up to Vermont, southern Vermont, every weekend once the snow was starting in, you know, Thanksgiving time. And we shared this little weekend house with two other families. They were my dad's best friends growing up from high school. So everyone started to have kids. We naturally became pretty much like brothers and sisters, even though we're not blood related. Everyone was into skiing and really just committing the entire weekend to being at Stratton. And then my brother one day decided to rent a snowboard. He started seeing people on snowboards and we're like, that's, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Like, that doesn't look that fun. And my brother picked it up 
right away. You know, they went to the top of the mountain, no lesson. Everyone in our family was like, well, we don't want to wait for you while you're trying to learn this. So if you want to do that, we're going to continue on skiing, going fast and being in our crew and you can figure this out. So by the time my brother made it down to the mountain, he had figured out how to link his turns and he was just raving on how fun it was. And naturally, being a younger sibling, you always want to do what your older sibling's doing. But I did not pick it up that quickly. It took me a while and I just being so competitive and that fear being being a younger sibling, you don't want to get left behind because then you know, you're just not a part of the fun. He he eventually helped me because I was having a hard time putting it together. So that's, he was there for, you know, some of those early turns and, you know, flashback, he was there for when I took the training wheels off of my bike and helped me with that cast off. So he has those big impact moments in my life for sure. And that was another big one, not knowing what path that would set me on. So your brother had a profound impact. 100%. And then what that did was also, you know, my dad was learning to snowboard at the same time I was. And then my mom's like, well, great. Well, I just figured out skiing and now everyone's <laughs> switching to snowboarding. Well, I'm going to switch too. So it, it made our whole your family whole switch. Family. Wow. We all okay. went to the dark side and <laughs> we all started having so much fun. So we'd ski in the morning when the, the conditions were just freshly groomed, everything was nice. And then in the afternoon when it would get piley and maybe a little softer, we'd go on the snowboards. And we That's did that fun. for a really, really long time. And... It was not until, unfortunately, our house burnt down up there that we all know how challenging it is working with insurance companies. We could not afford to be replacing every piece of equipment that we had. And my dad asked my brother and I, what do you want to pick? And we looked at each other and we're like, snowboards. And it was so amazing because so many of the local companies around the ski shops. They they helped us and hooked us up whenever they could, you know, getting us clothing. It was just so amazing how that community came together to support that because it was it was a very a hard loss. Oh, for sure. In 2006, you narrowly lost gold after attempting a trick at the end of your run. You have been outspoken in your dislike for the media's focus on this incident. We kind of touched on that earlier. Many have called your 2022 Olympic gold medal a redemption win. How do you feel about people calling it that? Does that resonate? I feel that word redemption is is played out a little bit. <laughs> I feel like a redemption would have worked if it happened in 2010. It, I mean, it is essentially... A, a type of redemption, but I, I felt I was so overhearing that word. And for me to be in this sport as long as I have been and changing the level for women's snowboard cross was my goal. And the fact that I am solid in this sport in history is more important to me and how I'm helping it grow and the path that it could still potentially go. So It was annoying. It was frustrating because any interview I did, they'd always want to loop it back to that. They'd always want to loop it back to, you know, why you did that in, you know, 06. And 
you know, essentially, I don't know if I can 100% answer that Mm -hmm. because I was so young. Was I being rebellious in my mind? Was I just having fun? I've gone through the motions of therapy to try to understand like what actually happened. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's what happened. I can't change it. I can only keep moving forward. And it took me so many years to even put that mindset in that this is a time to grow. This is a time to change and evolve. Once I realized that, then I started making more progress with me loving the sport. And, you know, you have those times when you're injured. That's when you start thinking about other things. It's been interesting how the media has always been writing what version they think my story has been. They'll put any title to it. Even winning the two medals, you could read some of the headlines and you're like, it still sounds a little negative, even though all that happened was positive and they just, they want to put their version on it. They want to put their voice on it, which is why I thought it was really important to do this autobiography because I wanted my voice to be heard. I wanted my perspectives People sometimes see these athletes and they only see them as an athlete, not a complete person that they're dealing with other real life problems too and their own growths and struggles and things like that. So it can be challenging. There are setbacks in life. There's guaranteed setbacks in life. That's that's just what you're dealing with. But to be pushing forward and to, you know, have to just pivot and adjust and make adjustments constantly It's just never giving up. So much of what you said resonates for me. I made my own set of mistakes. Mainly what really resonated for me is this, is the art of letting go. Because you can stay stuck for literally forever, ruminating, trying to figure out what would have happened if I had changed the past, holding your feet to the fire constantly 10 years later after something and like, The biggest piece for me of reinvention was being able to let that go. And then when you add in the stress of the media writing your story, telling it from their perspective, and and trying to not live within that narrative, it's so difficult. Um, And so I think writing your book is going to be just an incredible catharsis and an incredible story. And I understand everything you just said, and it really makes sense to me. But I also kind of want to get into like, you were competing for 16 years. You had to navigate this media storm. After all that time, after people probably like writing you off or whatever, you won a gold medal. I mean, can you talk about how that felt? It, it actually took a long time for me to fully get excited about it only because you had, I had another race immediately after, but so right after I, I won the, the individual gold, you're brought through the media circus. I'm doing zooms constantly because I'm still over in China and I'm still in my awards outfit and long underwear. And it's, (laughs) like getting close to two in the morning. And then, (laughs) you know, they just, they're asking me like, okay, well, your first interview tomorrow, it won't be that early. It's just nine. If you've done world cups before you do podiums, you come back, you have like, you know, time to decompress, maybe celebrate, you shower, you pack your stuff and you're getting ready for your next event. 
this was just, they kept me in that loop of, you know, media and you have to do your drug testing and then you do your flower ceremony, then you do your, your, you know, regular metal ceremony. And it's incredible. And those moments are truly amazing. And you feel like you're going to know exactly how you're going to react on the stage that so you'd be like, just blowing kisses and waving the flag. <laughs> and then it's just like, it was like that Ricky Bobby moment where I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, <laughs> like, it was just like, like it just froze. It was kind of funny. And, you know, I just told, I told them, you know what? I don't want to do any more media today or, you know, going into the next day. I want to go around and, and see my coaches and the wax techs and go thank them because mm. I was pulled away and I didn't really get to say that, say anything or see or thank them at all for being a part of the team that made it happen for me. So mm. I kind of had to turn back and be like, no, kind of done with this. I wanted to give that time to me. And I think that was also a huge opportunity. They, they, you know, the media will try to sell you the FOMO of like, this is your chance to get out your mm -hmm. story. And I'm like, if you don't know my story thus far, then I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> so... And to, to that, to that end, I just was just, I took care of myself. And that was another big difference Huge. for this, for this Olympics. And so I would say the first time I fully, fully enjoyed, it was actually around Mother's Day because, you know, we don't finish our season after the Olympics, as you well know, you finish your World Cup tour. So we, you know, we were doing all that. And I finally got home, visited my parents, went and picked up my dog and she's really old and she made it through the winter. And that was another fear and stress too. Gidge, I see yeah, She's passed out right now. She's sleeping, you know, hard day for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was Mother's Day and we got to watch both of my races with my parents. And, you know, I, I looked at them and I was just like, I finally did it. Like that was my, that was my yeah. moment that it was like, it hit me a little bit more emotionally. And I got to experience that with my parents and almost relive that moment to be right with my parents because they, they weren't allowed to be in China. Yeah. That's crazy. You couldn't have family there. In some ways, I think it, it was nice mm -hmm. in some ways. It took off some pressure in a way. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So in 2014, something spectacular happened while you were off the snow. Can you tell us a little more about what it was like in Sochi and how that led to your first foray into publishing with the children's book? Sochi, a true story, was born after the 2014 Olympics, where a lot of the dogs in Russia were either abandoned, uh, you know, just with all, all the construction, all the, you know, changes that were happening in the area, it kind of spawned this big boom and there was puppies everywhere. And there was kind of a, a couple of these dogs that were around the hotel and they were kind of being taken care of in a loose way by uh, the managing staff. And by day one, you know, uh, getting there, People kept saying like, oh, you're going to have a hard time here. I'm like, whatever. I've been to Mexico. There are stray dogs everywhere. That's not going to bother me. It was a little different here because Mexico's warm and, you know, dogs will get hot. They go lay in the shade. This was, it was cold. It was wet. They just like the puppies shivering. And it was not a great mental picture. And that was very challenging for me to see. And I decided to bring this dog home because ultimately every day when I got off the hill, he was there and he was kind of part of my emotional and mental recovery because of how stressful the Olympics have always been for myself. So I didn't want to just bail on him and be like, oh, peace, like, thanks for your help. So I I made it some sort of a mission to be like, no, like, I'm not going to send you you know, so we got we got all, all of his shots and had started from like day one that I was there to kind of see what the process would be. And I looked into it because I was up at all hours of the night with the horrible time change. So I was like, what are the restrictions? What do I need? What shots? What needs to happen? So I started those pretty early on when I was first there. And I was like, OK, you know, this is happening now. So, um, you know, brought him back and. We kept him away from our other dogs just for a little bit, just to make sure everything was great. And then slowly, like, blended him into the family. And I, again, I still need to travel and still continue to race. So finishing my season, I left that dog with my parents. And my dad actually really, really liked him. And I was like, no, I was planning on bringing Gidget and Sochi to California. And he's like, you can't do that. Like, Sochi has acres of land here. He loves being here. And mom just got a dog. So they're buddies. You can't break them apart. So I was like, just lost my dog. But he's in a great spot in Roxbury, Connecticut. And he has so much land. And he's never hungry. And he definitely hit the doggy jack part as much as uh, as as love that we can give him in our family towards animals. So Gidget is still, you know, solo in my house, but she goes back and you know, her being very old, they always want her to play, but then they realize like, oh, okay, she's old. So they're really still gentle with her, which is wonderful. And how did the children's story aspect develop? The way the story came out was I wrote, I wrote something kind of right after 
but I didn't know what to do or really how to put something together. So I had this story idea, but I'm not an artist by any means. And I didn't know how to go about finding an artist. And so it kind of just fell to the back burner once the story like kind of came to be. And then during the shutdown, I was like, you know, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I revisit this. And it just so happened to be that my brother was renting a room at this uh, bed and breakfast, like in, in Vermont, because they wanted to go check out a different mountain that winter. And the innkeeper, uh, the, the couple, the, the wife was like, oh, I'm this artist and I've always wanted to do a children's book. And I was like, that is so weird because I have a kid's book and I need an artist. And so we were talking and kind of giving her the story and she kind of drew some like simple sketches on like how I was potentially seeing how the life of this uh, story could come to be. And I was like, I really like this. So we slowly built something. We brought in another artist, one of her really good friends. So between all three of us, it became our like COVID little pet project. And, you know, we tried to get it published by somebody, but the children's market was very challenging to get into. So it actually ended up just being a self-published thing because it wasn't something that we wanted to just be like, oh, we're going to rake it in. It was just kind of something we wanted to do to be a part of our accomplishments. And I liked it because you look at me and you're like a snowboarder. You're like, but you also wrote a kid's book. That's so random. And I love, I love how random that is because it's like, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that, would you? And, and the at the same for my two artists that are like, yeah, we paired up with a snowboarder. It's her story. It's wow. her experience. And that's what makes it special and unique. And that every four years, and it's, it's an Olympic story. It's something that could be part of the buildup of uh, an Olympic excitement for any kid, which I thought was special. Oh, I love that. This show is about the cost of greatness and something that really impresses me about you is your ability to persevere, uh, you know, to get through whatever's in your way, whether that's not letting media narratives get in the way of your success or doing work on your mindset. What has kept you motivated all these years and positive? And, and I know that you did some, some work with, uh, Denise Shul. Denise Shul. And what skills, what tools did you learn with her and, and what has been your motivation? So, I mean, there's a lot of factors that came in. There was a time that I blew my ACL and you have that time off snow. You start thinking, is this worth the fight back? Will I ever be as fearless on the snowboard or, you know, aggressive with knowing that I have a new ACL, will it hold? Will, will I, will I feel it the same? You will be nervous the first time you fall. You will immediately grab your knee thinking something could be wrong, mm -hmm. but without having some sort of crazy, crazy fall that twists your knee or landing hard or having your day-to-day -day crashes that you have in, in training, your knee will hold. And you had to hear that over and over and over again. And as far as the ups and downs with maybe not believing yourself in the moment, you know, um, Curtis Baca was a longtime friend and my wax tech starting in Torino, he would constantly say, 
Look at what you've accomplished. Remember how many things you've won. You can do this. Yes, you feel tired. You feel beat up. You're not as young as these other athletes, but let's look at what you do have. You have the experience. You can capitalize in these areas. And I know as soon as the gate drops, that energy, that competitive grit will come out. And even if you are, you know, not in the position you want to be, you're going to do everything and execute at your best ability to do your best you can. And, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, everyone supporting me there. And then there's Gidge. That's always a little emotional support animal. <laughs> it's always good to have. Um, it's, it's not a one man show. It, this, this takes a village always. And, you know, a lot of that comes from within, but it does always help to have those external voices saying and reinforcing what you know, because every person has those moments where they doubt themselves or they just are in this slump. And then you need somebody to just light that fire or kick you in the butt or, or when they know you well enough and they know exactly what they need to say to make you turn on or completely switch gears then that's also a great trigger to know and to have. And then once I started working with Denise, with everything that I had accomplished, we started to look at my emotional reactions and why I was letting it get the best of me. Looking at the whole picture, maybe this could be a key. So part of how I prepare and train myself physically, why wouldn't I be executing that same practice on my mental side. Giving yourself that time of forgiveness too. That was what we were trying to work on. The forgiveness part was huge to let myself get to that next step. Forgiving yourself for what? Forgiving myself for making that mistake or even in another race, not performing well, okay. even though I maybe had the chance to, I was noticing that I was harping more on my shortcomings than when I'd win. So okay. once once I'd win a World Cup, I'd immediately start thinking, oh, I got to get to the next one. And now I'm already putting this pressure on myself to win the next one. Instead of living in that moment, enjoying that I won. We're still in the same day. So you technically are a champion that day. Start acting like one, treating yourself like one, having that moment to reflect on the accomplishment that you made. And I kept letting that those tiny moments just drag me down. So I, I did make it that focus to make the wins last longer and pull more positives from that win than to necessarily harp on the the, the shortcomings. Not that those are not learning experiences, but it's more so finding that balance of just being kinder to myself, basically. And so was the first step in doing that becoming aware of yes. what's going on in your mind and then starting to work with those thoughts, work with those narratives and sort of train yourself yes. to become more positive? Right. So that's, yes. and, yeah. but it was also that it was, about living in the moment. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I felt like I really did that going into this last Olympics because it's like, wow, this is my fifth Olympic showing. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Like, 
But, you know, I'm up here. I've dedicated so much time. I have a whole new quiver of race boards that I've been trying to dial in over the last few years. I've been testing them. We know they're fast. We know they're ready. And looking around at all the U.S. team staff that's running jackets and getting you ready and helping you stretch or talking to you about, you know, certain lines. It's just delaying that feeling to mm-hmm. be in the moment. And I, I think that's what made it sweeter because mm-hmm. once I was in the gate and then I was relaxed and then I also accepted the fact that this is a race, just a race. It's going to play out how it's going to play out. I'm going to give my best. I know I'm going to give my best. And at the end of the day, I'm either going to be standing on that podium or I'm not. And mm-hmm. either way is okay. Yeah. And so many athletes, I know, because we're cut from a similar cloth, if we're making it to that level in competition, no question. we can be harsh on ourselves. And I feel for those, I feel for those athletes that just miss the podium or they don't complete the, the touchdown pass. Like I am, instead of the panning over to that athlete that had the success, sometimes I look at the athlete that just came short because I felt that, I know that, and I just want to go give them a hug and be like, it's going to be okay. I mean, that's such a perfect lead into the next question I had. There's so many young athletes that look up to you and you've mentored younger snowboarders. What do you think are the most important lessons that you want to pass on to young athletes in your sport or in any sport? I've worked with some athletes and I actually do mentoring on a a higher level now because I never want an athlete or an individual to feel how I felt or how the media has ever made me feel. So it's me telling them to express their emotions, to be able to communicate with their friends and family or their coach so they can tell somebody what they need, that they're not just pushing down and pushing away or pushing aside those feelings that they're having and telling them sometimes it's okay that you don't have fun when you're doing something. It is a struggle. It is a daily grind. When you see somebody on Instagram every day being so grateful or isn't life wonderful, it's not always like that. The reality is some days are extremely challenging, but if you realize in that moment, that moment will pass and it will get better, then once those moments are great, then it's even more of a sweet victory to have. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely sage wisdom and applicable again to everyone, not just elite athletes. So what's next for you? Well, I've been working on the book and- I haven't really made any sort of decision whether I am retiring or not. I feel like I'm still this brand and this name that could still help this sport. And whether that is at a competitive level or stepping back and being a a mentor of some capacity, uh, I want to have that opportunity. So I'm training as if I'm competing Oh, it's not exactly just easy to be like, oh, just turn it off. Like, it's fine. So I don't want it to be a decision that I'm making not being on snow. Uh, And also the fact that I want to go out being the best. I feel like something will tell me that it's time. I just haven't been given that cue yet. So working on training, working on my book and 
I have also started doing personal training because during the pandemic, the first shutdown, I really didn't know how I was going to transition out of sport. So I figured getting my personal training certificate might be a great way to help segue me into maybe I liked doing that or it would just give me something to be generating income in the time between that I didn't know. So I've also been doing that and dabbling to see if that's still something I like. So I'm just trying to stay busy and be active, uh, you know, mentally, physically, and keep challenging myself because I, I don't know when opportunities will shut down at that capacity and I'll fully transition into everyday life. And I really don't know how to, I'll probably be hitting you up for that. So I'll be like, navigate me, my Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, girl, anytime. <laughs> Lindsay, you've had and continue to have such a prolific career. I love listening to your evolution. I think that so many people are going to benefit from this podcast and from your tenaciousness and also your ability at some point to get vulnerable and ask for help. And, and you know, just the, the, the duality of those two things are so powerful. So thank you so much for being on. I can't wait to read your book. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye. Lindsay radiates optimism. And to her point, you don't have to be an athlete to face adversity and be down on yourself at times. Harsh critiques of our abilities creep into every person's mind from time to time. But just like Lindsay found, we aren't powerless. There are ways to overcome the negativity and we have to search out the people in our lives that will help us see our challenges through to those welcoming white slopes, readying us for our next great ride. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Nikki Stein and Kelsey Albright. Tori Smith is our associate producer. Olivia Canny is our production assistant. Original music by James Levino. Special thanks to Allison Cohen and Matt Azenstadt. Next time on Torched, I speak with Olympic surfer Caroline Marks about what it was like to compete in the first Olympics that featured surfing. Surfing is such an individual sport and being there, you know, the whole Team USA stayed together. But normally everyone's in different houses and everyone has their own coaches and doing different things. But this time we were all together in, in the same house and I've never really had that experience before, you know. So that was like super cool. That's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, if you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll see you next time. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.